Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 11th episode, the Checo episode of the podcast, and it is still race week, but not only that, it's Monaco, baby, the most prestigious motorsport event in the world. But before I get to that, we're also here after a fantastic Spanish Grand Prix this past weekend, and there's a lot to talk about, so let's get right into it. It's lights out and away we go! First of all, what a race. For the Spanish Grand Prix, that was a banger. And I would say it was on par, if not better, than the second best race of the year, which I would have rated as Jetta. Uh, I'm sorry, but Bahrain, uh, that might still be the race of the year by December. It was that good, in my opinion. Bahrain was fantastic. But this Spanish Grand Prix, a lot happened. And there is a lot to recap um the regulations i have to say it made the biggest difference at this track out of any of the four we can compare it to obviously we can't compare miami we've never raced there before besides this year so there is no old uh, cars to compare to but as for the other four the, the 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 race at spain was so much better under these regulations and i feel like the regulations played a huge part in that. It wasn't just a bunch of things happening. I think the fact that the cars were able to follow so much closer made this race so much better. So I think in the future, we can look forward to the Spanish Grand Prix a little bit more. That's at least my opinion. I said on last episode, you know, the Spanish Grand Prix is typically a bit of a, a bit of a boring one, a bit of, of a forgettable race during the year. But I'm going to be looking forward to next year's Spanish Grand Prix as well. That's what we can expect, especially as long as Carlos Sainz is in a race-winning machine and Fernando Alonso is still kicking. The Spanish Grand Prix will always be exciting moving forward. Um, I also mentioned on the last episode the chicane um, that people have a problem with, the very last uh, two corners of the Grand, uh, of the lap. Sorry. Um, and I think it wasn't as much of a problem as well because of those regulations. Being able to follow through that chicane made it not that big of an issue. I still think the old layout would be better, but I don't think we have to complain about it as often as we used to. There was plenty of overtakes into turn one, and that is because people were following better through that section. Um, another thing to note is that it was not just the top teams or Aston Martin, like I had mentioned last weekend. Um, that brought upgrades to this weekend in Spain. Um, it was everybody. Uh, well, except for Haas, who say they will bring a big package later in the season. Gene Haas was interviewed um, by someone on F1 TV about, um, up, or maybe it was Sky Sports, but he was he was interviewed by a reporter analyst. They asked him, you know, why aren't why don't you guys have upgrades here? And he basically called upgrades overrated. In the past, they haven't really made any difference, at least in his opinion and that they really want to get a better understanding for the car and when they do come with an upgrade they want it to be what's right instead of just rushing out to try to keep up with the rest they think they have a decent car right now and that they will hold off and look to do a bigger package later in the season um uh, however the upgrade certainly did show for the other teams especially a certain front running team that i mean if you watch the race you probably know who i'm referring to but I'm going to get into that a bit later. Um, also, the last review I did, I talked a little bit about practice, and I'm not going to bother doing that this time. But I do want to quickly mention that I knew Nick DeVries on last Monday, because I record a bit early to preview a race. Um, I knew Nick DeVries was hopping in Alex Albon's seat in the Williams, but it turned out that uh, Yuri Vips also got running in the Red Bull uh, Sergio Perez's seat, and Robert Kubica got a drive in Zhou Guan Yu's Alfa Romeo. 
By the way, Nick DeVries did technically beat Latifi on the leaderboards by under a tenth of a second, but I think Williams is, is really the only team that knows whether that tenth or so was actually was actually worth something because, you know, like I said, they have the data. So, you know, if Nick DeVries did that under better conditions or with uh, less fuel, you know, it doesn't really matter, right? Um, there's There's more to it than that. So I just want to quickly mention that. So let's get straight into qualifying. Um, my bias might be showing here, but after all, this show is called Break Bias. But this was one of my favorite qualifying sessions of the year. Um, the Williams were nowhere, and I, I am a fan of Williams, but um, my team, Mercedes, uh, definitely their best session of the season. But anyway, getting ahead of myself, the Astons, they faced heavy, heavy criticism um, for copying the Red Bull, and I mean, it does look the same. Everyone has seen it by now, but if you haven't, just <laughs> look it up. You'll see pictures of those cars side by side, and from the side profile, it's identical. They're just different colors. In fact, Red Bull actually brought lime-flavored Red Bull drinks for the team instead of like the standard flavor, kind of like as a dig to Aston Martin for copying their car concept or car design essentially. But anyway, I bring them up because they were both out in Q1. It didn't really seem to matter in qualifying. I think they were better in the race, but in qualifying, they're both out in Q1 along with the Williams. Um, and you know, they're still in ninth in the constructors championship. So maybe they have some the more to do. But I said last week, you know, if Aston doesn't really uh, improve their performance with this big, massive upgrade, Oh, and by the way, I should mention that I had said that Lance Stroll was going to be the only car with the upgrades, and that is what happened when they brought both of the cars to to Spain, to the track. However, they broke curfew. They were allowed to do that only a certain amount of times throughout the year to give Sebastian Vettel the same spec. So it was nothing. To, they didn't want to compare. They just needed more time for, for Vettel's car to be done, and so that's what they did. So they ended up both having the same spec. Um which kind of ruined my whole idea for Lance Stroll P10, but hey, it didn't matter anyway. Um, but Vettel did finish P11 in the race, so it was close. But anyway, out in Q1. And that leaves only one spot in Q1, and it was actually a very shocking elimination. It was, unfortunately, the Spaniard, Fernando Alonso. He had a bit of a bad lap and then got caught in traffic, that cost him, and he was out early. He eventually decided to uh, take a new engine, which is crazy. He's already on his fourth engine in round six, so he went back to P20, but I think that was probably the right decision. It's a track that he's good at. It's a track that, you know, you can overtake. It's it's usually, it's historically a bit of a hard one to overtake, but you can on turn one, especially if you have a performance advantage. And if you're already in, like, what it was like P17 that he was qualified in, why wouldn't you just take your fourth engine when you know it's coming eventually? And if you're already on your third engine, you're going to take multiple. You might as well take it when you qualify poorly. Moving on to Q2, the Mercedes. Uh, they came out on their banker laps, typically the first um, laps of the session. Um, they go out 1-2. And I got to say, seeing that, I don't even care if they were on fresh rubber and Red Bull and Ferrari weren't. That was not happening in other sessions. That was a statement, and it set up qualifying 
well, it just set up a great story for the rest of qualifying is like, wow, is Mercedes going to fight for pole position here in Q3? And it well certainly had me exciting, but honestly, that wasn't even the story of Q2. In my opinion, the story of Q2 was Lando Norris. I had predicted um, last week in my Spain predictions that I think Lando would have a great weekend and that he could surprise us in qualifying with like a shock P3, um, possibly out qualifying a Red Bull or a Ferrari or even both Mercedes. And he was out in Q2. He actually had set a time on his final push lap uh, that was good enough for Q3, but it was um, stripped from him because of track limits. And he fell to 11th, and of course, that means you're knocked out. Um, the part of the track that he exceeded track limits had just enough runoff past the white line, which is the limit, to fit a car before running into the gravel. And Lando believes he was in a spot like, why, why can't the gravel just be the track limits? Because if he were a couple inches further off the track, he was spinning out. Like, he was in the gravel, his time wouldn't have mattered anyway. And if he was just a few inches to the right, he was on that white line. He was that close to both sides. So, like, what's the point of a track limits violation? Why can't I just lose my lap if I make a mistake and go into the gravel? Like, he kept it going. Um, and I see where Lando is coming from. But at the end of the day, if the stewards say it's the white line, it's the white line. And it doesn't matter whether you can fit a car in between there or not. Or if it's a huge runoff, the white line is the white line. That's what the stewards say. Um, I wanted Lando in Q3 because I think he probably could have done better than um, Mick or Daniel who qualified in P10 and P9. Um, but, you know, it, it is what it is. On the on the bright side, though, it, it was an out-qualify for Daniel who was down 5-0 to Lando this season in qualifying. So he finally gets one up on his teammate technically, even though Lando's time was better than Daniel's um, in Q2. But anyway, yeah, take a silver lining for for Daniel, I guess. Um, also, a, be, a, a bit of a Q2, Q3 story. Um, I, it really is a Q2 story, I guess. But uh, remember that team that brought no upgrades to Barcelona? I said every other team, but this team brought upgrades. They're obviously, they're obviously going to be the slowest team. I mean, they didn't bring any upgrades. Everyone else got better, right? Hell no. Haas just casually makes it into Q3 with both cars. No no one's really talking about it on the broadcast. It's the first ever time in Q3 for Mick. Magnussen squeaks in there too. Who, who needs upgrades when you have a Steiner ship, right? I mean, Haas, what a bunch of rock stars they were in qualifying this weekend. Not so much in the race, what's new. But I have to mention that, I mean... We had the Red Bulls, the Mercedes, and the Ferraris, right? Um, obviously, they're in they're in Q3 every time, basically. Um, that only leaves four other spots, and Haas had both their cars there. I mean, the only other two was one McLaren and one Bottas of uh, Ricardo. Or one Bottas, I just called Alfa Romeo Bottas. It, that's hilarious because that's basically what the team is right now. One Alvaro Romeo in Bottas and one McLaren in uh, Daniel Ricciardo. That is hilarious that I just did that. Um, uh, wow. But anyways, um, we're going to talk about Q3 now. Obviously, you know the 10 cars that are taking part in Q3. Um, and after seeing the pace of the Mercs in Q2, it seemed everything was to play for. On the first runs, Max was on provisional pole, and as Leclerc entered the final chicane um, on his lap, he spun. 
So he doesn't set a time. He crawls back into the pits. Like he kept his car running and he stayed out of the barrier, but he obviously had to, he's not going to set a very good time with a spin, is he? So uh, he goes back to the pits. It seemed momentum was kind of shifting towards Max um, for sure. Uh, and then in Leclerc, with all, all the pressure on him, he hadn't even set a time. Uh, he snatches pole from Max, who actually had a problem on his final push lap, so we didn't really get to see a proper shootout. It was kind of Max's banker lap versus Charles's final lap, and uh, and that was because Max's DRS flap wouldn't open, um, and I can tell you that's not the first time that uh, Max would run into that problem during the weekend. So that puts Charles on pole position. Max held on to P2 from Carlos Sainz in P3. Would have been great to see Carlos uh, at least fight for pole on his home turf, but he wasn't He wasn't really that close. I thought he would be closer is another one of my predictions. Unfortunate for Carlos, as soon as I saw him on the final lap, he was already two tenths down in sector one, which is such a marginal sector. Like, they should all be close. Like, Russell finished, I think, three tenths off of pole, and he was purple in sector one. But it was purple by like a couple hundredths of a second because that's kind of sector one's, it's always usually very marginal, it's just a couple straights, right? Um, but anyway, after Carlos Sainz was George Russell, the, the Mr. Saturday, the king of consistency. He puts it in P4, that's his best qualifying session of the season so far, um, ahead of Perez, which I mean, I don't want to say Perez had a terrible session, but you don't want to be losing to Russell, so I mean... He was a bit far off of Max, not where he wanted to be, but he had a great race. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hamilton slots in in P6. He wasn't far off of kind of the whole Perez and Russell fight, but he was kind of behind his teammate the whole qualifying session. Um, I'm not sure what his issue was there, but in race pace, again, he he improved for sure. But I continue to get ahead of myself. I think it's time to move on to the race anyway, so let, let's talk about the race. Charles starts from pole, of course, and holds the lead in the turn one. Russell moves up past Sainz into P3. Um, uh, Sainz falls back a few places at the start when his car went into Andy Stahl at the line again, an issue he's had before this season um, in Australia, most notably, and then on lap two, of course, spinning out, trying to overtake the car of Magnussen, I believe it was. Um, and speaking of Magnuson, he started brilliantly flying, charging through turn one and then turn two. He was looking to go around the outside of Lewis Hamilton. I think it was turn four. Yeah, I think it was turn four. Um, and Lewis, he was the only ty- uh, only guy in the medium tires, which I think probably might have been part of the reason why this happened. He didn't have as much grip as, as the other guys, but he's still holding a very tight line into, I think, I, I don't want to say the turn if I'm wrong, but I think it's turn four. Um, It's a right-hand turn after the big sweeping right, Um, and it looks like Lewis is maybe coming off of the line a little tiny bit, but he, at the point of contact, Lewis, um, he, he, the whole track was there for Magnuson, and, you know, I'm a Lewis fan, so I'm not trying to take this incident biased, but I think it was definitely more Magnuson's fault um, it, it was decided that the incident needed no further investigation, but in my opinion, Hamilton had left plenty of space for Magnuson. Sure, he wasn't going as, just as tight as everyone else in front was, and I think that was because of the medium tire, 
but there was more than half of the track space for Magnuson, and I think it was a very, very eager move. Um, if he had pulled it off, it would have been a brilliant, brilliant start to their race. But again, I think he was just trying to be a bit of a hero on lap one. And for Magnuson, I mean, the move was on. I just think the execution wasn't there. And I think that's why it was more so Magnuson's fault. But I will lie a bit of blame on Hamilton just because of the understeer it seemed that he had a little bit. But there was plenty of space. There, there was plenty of space. So I just think Magnuson was a bit overzealous. And um, it, it cost them both points because in the end, um, I'm fine with the stewards' verdict. Magnuson was nowhere close to the points. I think he was second last. I think Albon finished last on the track, taking out the DNFs. Um, but it was definitely his fault um, predominantly, and it cost them both massively. Lewis got a puncture from the incident, limped back to the pits. Uh, he wanted to retire the car um, in saying, quote, uh, save the engine after he found himself over 50 seconds behind the lead on lap two. that this time, Leclerc was kind of pulling a small gap on Max before both he and Sainz spun at the same corner um, due to a crosswind that loosened their rear end. Um, Sainz fully lost the rear end spun. Max kind of like, he tried to correct it, and it was just he was already on a, on a path. I was seeing him going to the gravel, so... He, he collected himself a bit better than Sainz, and I think Sainz lost a lot more time because Sainz fell all the way down to 11th, where Max was only overtaken by Russell and Perez. Um, but while Russell was holding off both the Red Bulls, costing them loads of time, Leclerc was getting out to a huge lead, like 10, 11 seconds. And after Perez was kind of failing to catch Russell and pass him on a couple tries, the Red Bull team gets on the radio and say, you know, let Max have a try. So he says, okay, sure, fine. Um, they allowed Max through, but then his DRS flap's not working, so he's not getting a move done. They they get, they get put Prez in the pits, kind of leave Max to it to try to pass Russell, and this battle went on forever, and it was a fantastic battle. Max definitely had more pace throughout the rest of the track, but when it came to the straight, Mercedes' straight line speed was, was 100% there, it was clear the Red Bull needed DRS to get the move done. It was kind of working intermittently where it would work one lap and then not the other lap. And when it was working, he got very close. But Russell was just planting his car in a very a very hard spot to overtake. Some people might have said it was unfair because it looked like he was moving in the braking zone. I would say it's hard racing, but it was, it was getting to the point where it was a bit sketchy. But Max played it very smart. Uh, he bought his time, although it was costing him lots of time. But anyway, it was George was just completely switched on. He was defending brilliantly, and this was a dream start for Leclerc, who just continued to build a gap. Looks like he was cruising to the easiest of victories with Russell playing the ultimate like Ferrari team game. Um, and all of a sudden, that epic battle between Russell and Verstappen was for the lead. Leclerc slows down. He's shouting, no, 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 because he, he loses power. And he has to pull into the pits and retire. Just a, a shame for Leclerc, who had his first win since round three snatched from him by a power issue. He he completely had the race under control. Um, I didn't mention that both Russell and Verstappen pitted on the same lap. Leclerc also came in. He lost a bit of an advantage because he stayed out longer, but then he just built another big gap. And then he obviously lost out and it was crazy because we had this battle going on and on and on between Russell and Max and 
it eventually became the for the lead of the race. It was all the seems to be like, okay, Max is just he's eventually gonna get this move done. He's gonna get P two. But it's not it just the excitement's not there when it's for P two as much as it is for, for P one. And that's the battle it's it's just crazy how it all turned out. Um but eventually this this battle that kept going on allowed Checo who who stayed out longer um, to catch up back to Max and Russell. And as soon as Checo caught up, he says, okay, guys, I let Max have a try. He still hasn't overtaken him. Let me through so I can overtake him easily. And also, I don't even know if Checo knew about the Max's um, DRS issues because I think that should have made it very just clear, let Perez through. Um, eventually, well, they tell him that you're on a different race strategy, which I think is ridiculous. But anyway, I'm going to get to that a bit later as well. Um, they eventually pit Max because he's just losing time behind. Well, he's not losing time anymore, I guess, because the Claire's out of the race. But they, um, they pit Max because he's just stuck and he's probably overheating his tires. And it allows Checo to have a bit of a more... A, a chance at Russell, I guess, without having to give Max the team radio message. Um, and Checo gets it done on like the second try. And that's why I think it was just a bit ridiculous to um, wait even the few laps it took to pit Max. Um, yeah, he makes the move stick right away and he starts pulling away. And because Max puts on the fresh tire, his pace was incredible. He catches Russell very, very quickly on the softs. And he ends up... Uh, ends up as soon as he catches up to Russell Russell pits and he's now charging after Checo um anyway with these front three kind of they're a bit of a strategy game and these battles attracting all the attention Lewis Hamilton sneaks his way back into p6 right behind Bottas and signs remember uh, remember that guy I said that uh got a puncture on first lap of the race and was 50 seconds behind yeah he was right back in the points in p6 and that was a legit it wasn't like he just stayed out on the same tire and needed to pit again like he he was legitimately back in p6 on pace an absolutely incredible recovery but it's not over in the end uh, Russell was not able to hold off the bulls as they took a one two. However, Hamilton passed Carlos on pure performance. He passes a Ferrari on pure performance after getting a puncture on lap one. They had even tire wear. Um, it was for fourth place, so it's not like Carlos is completely switched on, defending it really hard. But, you know, that had to have had the Mercedes factory absolutely buzzing. Because from what they've had to go through so far... To see even, like, I know it's not Leclerc or Verstappen, that would feel even better. And I'm, that's not a knock against Carlos, but it's, they see that red car who started the season 1-2. Seeing them just pass them on pure performance was impossible before. These upgrades clearly worked so well for them. And I could not be more happy because I think we all just want to see a three-team race. I know it's my team that's improving. So again, a bit biased, but I think everyone wants to see a three-team race. It's just, it's it's awesome. So, unfortunately, after he gets that move done for P4, though, both Mercedes cars had a leak that uh, became a DNF risk on the penultimate lap. It needed, uh, it came on the radio for both cars, and they needed to coast through the final laps. Um, so Sainz had actually retook the fourth position. Russell was able to hold on to P3 for the podium. But, you know, nonetheless, still an incredible recovery from the seven-time champion. 
and it earned him driver of the day. And Russell still got a podium after the Leclerc retirement. So still a great result for Mercedes, even though it almost became an absolute disaster in the end. So um, yeah, there was a there was a lot to go through in this race, and I left out still some big stuff. But, you know, for those who watched it, you know, they don't need to hear me do a play-by-play of the entire race. So I left out a lot, but I feel it's important to revisit some of the important parts of the race, especially moments that I'll be discussing. So I might cut down my reviews from now on, um, but, you know, I will definitely touch on important parts. There's consideration for me to just also reformat how I do all my post-race podcasts. Um, especially on, uh, on, uh, double headers. I've actually thought about maybe on double headers coming out with two episodes in one week, one that talks about the race and another one that talks about the, the next race, but I decided to keep it on this format. So this might end up being a bit of a longer episode. Cause I mean, we're still on race review and, uh, we're, we're quite a bit in already. So anyway, let's just get to the order so we can get this going. Um, the order, uh, was Max Verstappen in P1, Checo P2, Russell P3, another podium, another top five finish for the budding young star in the Mercedes. In P4 was Carlos Sainz, who also recovered from his spin to take decent points for his team, who had a pretty shocking weekend, um, or race, I should say. They were, they were good in qualifying and, uh, they were good in practice. It was just the race that, um, kind of went to shambles for them. Uh, but Sainz continued his own streak of scoring points in front of his home crowd. Um, not the result he was probably looking for. I think everyone really wanted Sainz to do well, and he still did. But it's still unfortunate to not see him on the podium. That would have been that would have been um, much more desirable. Of course, P5 was Lewis Hamilton, who, if it weren't for the problem on the second to last lap, would have recovered from dead last to P4. He set many fastest laps, too, on the way there. Seeing that fastest lap little icon show up to Lewis's name just had to have given the team so much more confidence moving forward. Um, on, on, the, on the team radio after the race, Mercedes team principal Toto Wolff believed, um, he said to Lewis, he believed he could have fought for the win had, it not, uh, had his race not been kind of ruined um, on lap one. Um, and it was backed up by, you know, statistics. Lewis was 50, over 50 seconds behind on lap two from the lead. Or maybe it was from, well, it would have been from both of them, whether it was Max or Leclerc. Um, and before he had to coast to the finish, because he lost like 15 seconds of time on two laps because he was just coasting, trying to make it to the line, he was only 40 seconds behind Max. So from the second lap to the second last lap, he gained 10 seconds on the guy who won the race. That is incredible. That is incredible for Mercedes. And I I think that based on, like, George Russell ran the soft tire a few times during the race, and he I don't think he ever set a fastest lap. So as great as George was, um, Lewis had incredible race pace after wanting to retire the car. I mean, that's a bit of a classic Lewis. Seems when something goes wrong, he always kind of wants to give up, and then his team kind of has to say the right thing to get him motivated. And then once he puts his head down, he's the seven time world champion again. Um, Their team definitely is familiar with how Lewis operates and how to get him going. That's for sure. 
Um, P6 was Valtteri Bottas, who was brilliant once again and could have had an even better result. I think he could have finished ahead of Lewis, possibly, if they put him on the right uh, strategy. The three-stop was definitely the way to go, and the two-stop uh, eventually caught him out, and he lost positions to Science and Hamilton very easily. I think he could have been in the fight at least. He might have still been P6, but it, it, th with this strategy, they just had no chance. Um and uh, P7 was Esteban Ocon, P8 was Lando Norris, P9 was Fernando Alonso, and P10 was Yuki Tsunoda. A fantastic recovery from Alpine. Uh, their driver started 12th and 20th, and to score double points was just an absolutely fantastic result. P8 for Lando sounds almost like a bit of a disappointment, because he's such a great driver and McLaren has higher aspirations. But it was reported that he went straight to the hospital after the race and was diagnosed with tonsillitis. So I think um, that P8 result sounds a little bit more impressive after you hear that. And um, lastly was Yuki Tsunoda, who takes another point to expand the lead on his teammate Pierre Gasly and lead uh, and the lead for 7th in the Constructors over Haas. Um, the Drivers' Championship has a new leader in Max Verstappen. He now leads by 6 points to Charles Leclerc. Perez trails Leclerc by the same margin Max trailed by before Spain, which was 19. Um, Russell stays in fourth, 11 points adrift of Checo. Uh, Sainz keeps P4 and nine points behind Russell, which makes Sainz 20 points behind the closest Red Bull or Ferrari. Not as bad as you may think it would have been considering how Sainz's season has gone since um, Bahrain, really. Um, uh, Lewis Hamilton, he's in P6, 19 points away from Sainz. Then it's Norris who maintains a one-point advantage. Uh, sorry, maintains a one-point advantage over Bottas. Ocon is in P9, slightly behind those two with 30 points, and Magnussen remains 10th with half the points of Ocon. And the constructors, Red Bull now leads Ferrari 195 to 169. Mercedes is in a very comfortable third with a 70-point lead on McLaren in P4. Alfa Romeo leads Alpine by 5 points in a battle for P5. Alfa Tari leads Haas by 2 points for P7. Um, and uh, Aston stays 3 points ahead of Williams, who is in P10. Uh, so there's quite a, quite a lot to still be covered. Um, so let's finish the recap of this race right away with my prize, demise, and surprise. Okay, the prize. This one is tough because I don't think Max deserves it. I gotta be honest. Charles obviously probably would have deserved it, but then he DNF'd. Checo, he got shafted. Um, and even though he drove a brilliant race, he definitely doesn't deserve my prize for how he was treated in the race. Um, and I'm going to get into that later as well. And Sainz spun out and cost himself. So none of the drivers in the top two teams are going to get this honor. For me, it's got to be between the Mercedes drivers, so I'm just going to give it to their team. Uh, Russell drove brilliantly, held off the fastest cars on the grid for many, many laps, and brought the car to a podium position, which he's done all season long. Just be consistent, bring it home in the top five, and that's why Mercedes is still even in the constructor's hunt. But meanwhile, Lewis, um, obviously not the start he would have wanted, not the best qualifying either, but he actually had the better race pace and had an insane recovery. And he overtook a Ferrari, like I mentioned. That is, That, to me, is the highlight of the race for Mercedes. Not the podium, not the fact that he went from where he was to a really good point-scoring position. The fact that he just overtook a Ferrari on even performance. Like, the tires were the same, 
fuel load was the same, no damage in either cars. It was just a fair fight and Lewis got it done. That is the highlight of the race for Mercedes. And I just think the prize has to go to that team. If I had to pick one of the drivers, I would go with Lewis. He won driver of the day for the reason, in my opinion. Some people argue Russell finished in a better result. The battle with Max was amazing. Um, but I'm just going to give it to the team because they really deserve it. And that upgrade was clearly working. There was hardly any porpoising on the car. And I think they're going to be a force moving forward. It is only one race, but let's see how it goes. It was a statement this weekend. Uh, for sure. And they deserve a prize. Now to the demise. I could go with the obvious pick and just pick Ferrari here or pick Charles because Charles lost um, such a gigantic lead in the driver's championship in only a few rounds. But I, I'm going to pick one out of left field. I'm going to pick one of the drivers who arguably had one of the strongest races in Barcelona. Um, and that's number 11, the man who this episode is named after, Sergio Perez. Hear me out, if you saw the race, you know exactly why I'm picking him. This race proved to me that he is officially a number two driver. Last year, he had to play that role. He fell behind early. He was early. He was new to the team. You just had to do what you needed to do to stay in a top, uh, stay in a top team, stay in a top car, in order to you know secure your spot with the team in the future. Um, but I think this just this race to me, I'm probably looking at this really harshly and much more harsh than Prez or Prez, Prez fans are looking at it. But um, I'm assuming it's been his dream since he was a child to score uh, uh, to win a championship, uh, like most F1 drivers' um, dreams are. And I just feel like that dream died. Uh, honestly, I really do because you know. He's in such a conundrum right now because Red Bull is never going to give him a chance. It's very clear. Max Verstappen, he could honestly go down as the best driver of all time. He's had that good of a start to his career. He's that young. He has so much racing ahead of him. And Red Bull's going to want to keep him in their car forever. Um, so if Perez is in Red Bull, he's he's never going to get a chance. And they really showed that today. Even if Perez gets off to a great start, say Bahrain, his engine didn't cut out and he took that uh, second place, or sorry, it wouldn't be second place, he would have took that third place. Um, it just, I, I just really don't think, I think they would have done the exact same thing. I think they know with Max, he's won the races and in the end, it probably is the better call. It's just a bit, it's a bit ruthless to, to Sergio in my opinion. Um, and it's also a fact that he will probably not ever be in another, another car like re the Red Bull car that he's in right now. And I don't see another top team giving him a chance, or if he moves to another team, they emerging as a, as a top team like he is in right now. Um, it's just, I don't know if Sergio Perez has ever been considered a title winning, a title winning, um, driver. But I just think he he's just got no shot now, and it's it's a, something of a pill to swallow to just realize that yeah, it it really is never going to happen, um, and that's why it's my demise. I just think how what they just did to him today. I don't think sure he he goes on to win this race. He probably still doesn't win the championship, but to just to take the points away from him already in round six when I think. Yes, Max might have gone on to win it anyway, and the strategies that they were on, Max was going to be the faster driver, they didn't want him to battle, but my issue was with the fact that they didn't even give Sergio Perez a winning strategy. After Leclerc was out, they should have had both cars in positions to win, 
but instead they they had it as in okay we're going to use Checo to get Max this win. That that's how their strategy changed, and I, that's what I have a problem with personally. But anyway, um, now let's move on to my surprise. It, it would also be Mercedes. Mercedes shocked me this weekend. I did not think it was going to be that big of a um, improvement. But they can't be both. So I'm going to go with uh, a hashtag I might start online, honestly, right now. And and I don't mean to uh, to be harsh on this driver because I really do like him. But hashtag where is Pierre? This is pretty self-explanatory what this means and what I'm getting at. Um, he just hasn't really had a great season, has he? From what we expect from Pierre Gasly, we uh, kind of expected him to get the maximum out of that AlphaTauri like he has been doing these past two seasons. Um, but as of right now, if he were to continue performing like he is, honestly, Sunoda's going to be the one that stays in that seat if some uh, young uh, Red Bull Driver Academy star emerged. I think they would move on from Pierre Gasly if he continued to perform like this. I mean, Daniel Kvyat was performing pretty well, and they dropped him too. So, I mean, I'm just pointing that out. But, man, it's it's been a rough go for Pierre. I really think he will turn it around. But I just really needed to point it out because he just he's getting beat by Sonoda and it's just he's not really doing anything. I don't think the AlphaTauri has been it's it's a worse car than it was the past two years, and I don't know if that's why. But man, it's just it's kind of shocking. I really expected more from Pierre. Um, but now before I talk some Monaco, I want to quickly talk about uh, the championship and what it could look like if we see more of this version of the Mercedes W13. Alright, so first of all, I want to say, um, I, I definitely consider myself a skeptic, so I, I want to see more um, from this Mercedes team. It's only one race, um, a lot of things pointed towards Mercedes staying in this fight, you know, George went as far as to say that um, their season starts now, because everything before that, like, it's just a completely different car than the one they had before. So I do believe that they will be in the mix, but I don't want to just guarantee it. I don't, I don't want to say they're officially back. Let's see them string together some good performances and continue to stay in that fight before we start considering them for race wins or pole positions. Because let's be honest, um, in Spain they were not that very, they were not close on the first stint. George was falling behind Leclerc and Max right away. And sure, there was no porpoising, and I think it's safe to say we can lay the whole Mercedes power unit is the worst power unit thing to rest, because I think they were the quickest car on straight line speed in Spain. It was impressive. As soon as they they got rid of that porpoising, they were able to lower their ride height, much less drag in their car, and it shows because their power unit is just fine, and it's reliable too. I, th I think, honestly, it's crazy to say but you could argue that they have the strongest power unit at this point because Red Bull's had plenty of reliability issues. Um, Joe's been having problems. Leclerc just, he was out of the race with his, and it doesn't seem like Ferrari's is like that dominant or anything like that. I think they have a good power unit, but it's hilarious because I think Mercedes honestly could have could emerge as the top power unit right now. Williams, they were complaining about their straight line speed. I think it was Gasly and Imola. I mean, I think the Mercedes power unit is good, so I, we can definitely stop talking about that. I don't think anyone is anymore anyway, but I just wanted to mention that. Um, but I think this whole um, Mercedes hype, if you want to call it that now, is actually more from what Lewis just did than what George just did. Sure, we saw George fighting a top car more than we saw with Lewis, 
but it was Lewis, his it was Lewis's race pace that was sending fastest laps. And honestly, what he did to me was actually more impressive. George had more pressure on him. Lewis could just drive and take whatever result he could. So I think that has to be mentioned. But they they both gave the team hope for sure. But I would honestly say Lewis, um, his performance made them realize and like overtaking the Ferrari, like I mentioned before, that was the highlight of their race. Um, it's it's a long season. They got plenty of time to improve further. Like I said, I am a skeptic, and they they can get there eventually. I don't think they're there quite yet. Like I said, really far off in the first stint. Um, but can they get there eventually is a question uh, that that's what I wanted to bring up about the championship. You know, is Ferrari in trouble? Because it could look like right now that Mercedes might start taking points away from one of the top teams. And if I had to guess, I would guess it would be Ferrari. They seem to be slipping a little bit. Red Bull, I think, perennially is just a stronger unit. Um, could Merck pull off P2 in the constructors? Honestly, it's a, it's a question they're not that far off, only 50 points. That could happen very quickly with like another DNF. Merck has proven very reliable, and if they're there every race, they're not going to have these weird Lewis and P12s or in P10s anymore. Um, obviously, bad luck can still happen, but if their pace is better, that shouldn't happen. Um, and yeah, like I said, Mercedes just might end up being a nuisance to one of these teams, or maybe they end up getting in the fight. I think it's a bit too late. They need to be absolutely dominant to be able to come back in this championship. But at, at this point, um, it's Red Bull's championship to lose, in my opinion. They have to sort out the reliability issues. And it looks like they kind of have. It's getting better, but still, like a random little DRS fault. It's weird seeing such a good team have these such... Like, come on, you build these incredible machines and you can't get a little flap to open. It's, uh, it's a bit weird. I'm sure they would be like, well, it's a much more complex issue than that and whatever. But just to the to the casual fan, that's got to be like mind boggling. Like these machines are incredible, and it's just a little flap. Like, uh, I, honestly, it's 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 hilarious. But anyway, that's all I just wanted to quickly mention on the whole championship and Mercedes thing because I think that is probably the story heading into Monaco and the whole season now really is that Mercedes is back and we could see three teams fighting for wins every single race and that is that is what we want as fans so yeah let's uh let's talk Monaco all right Monaco the event everyone wants to be at whether you're a racing fan or not it's it's got the glamour and the history and it's it's a part of the triple crown of motorsport only achieved by Mr. Monaco himself two-time world champion Graham Hill father of Sky, uh, Sky Sports pundit and 1996 world champion Damon Hill um, I think the cars have gotten a bit big for this historic track which has made fans critical of the circuit a little bit but it's a uh, it's a staple on the calendar that is run around the same time every single year. In fact, it's actually at a special format where practice takes place on a Thursday instead of a Friday, and it gives the teams a day off in between. Uh, it's it's the, and they've been doing that for years, but this year they're actually uh, they've decided to kibosh the special format and go back to a normal three-day weekend. Um, but in 2021, hometown hero Charles Leclerc put his Ferrari on pole a bit controversially as he crashed out, caused a red flag, and ended the session while he was in the lead. Um, but he ended up not being able to start the race because of that collision, suffering a problem on his way to the grid. 
and that allowed Max, uh, who qualified in P2, to win the race um, in front of Paddock and golf buddies, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris. It was cool to see Carlando on the podium together. Um, Bottas had the longest pit stop in history, and Lewis had a shocking weekend in P7 uh, last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Mercedes can bounce back and have a better Monaco outing this time around. Um, but you want to know what I think? Of course you do, because why else would you be listening? Um, so let's let's hear my predictions, right? I think the Monaco curse is over, guys. I, I did a little sneak peek um, of this already. I think Leclerc gets it done. I think pull, fastest lap, and race win. He's going to score a hat trick on his home uh, turf. And I think it'll be the moment of the season, finally breaking the curse, and it'll just set the stage um, for the rest of the season. It'll be Max and Charles leaving Monte Carlo on possibly level pegging. If Max comes second and scores the fastest lap, they will be even. So I think that's very, very possible, and it just it's going to set up a great season. That's my prediction. Uh, that's a pretty fun one, if you ask me. Um, and to be honest, I thought with the Merck porpoising problem that Monaco would maybe be a track where they would be able to get some more performance out of the car. It wouldn't hurt them so much. But with it being a non-factor in Spain, I think it's proven that their aero is even better. So I think they could definitely be in the mix. I, I really want to see it. And I am I'm somewhat confident that they'll be there. However, it doesn't seem it's 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 not a track that Mercedes typically does well at. To be honest, they've always seemed to have a bit of a trouble, um, a hard time with the track, and it's one that Red Bull's chassis has always been very fond of. So, with all that being said, I think I'm I'm gonna go with Leclerc winning still because to be honest, it's it's not just like me picking it because he's the hometown hero. He's very fast here. He's just had ter- terrible luck, and I think the luck that he was gonna get in Monaco. Was just happened in Spain. He's going to come back and he's going to win. Um, here, Max is going to be in P2. I'll say um, I'll say he doesn't get the fastest lap, so Charles retakes the lead. Um, I'm going to go Sainz in P3. I think he typically does pretty well here. I'll go Lewis P4, George P5. Probably, I think they're going to be very even on race pace. Lewis gets the better of George and Quali. And then I'll put Perez in P6. I think he comes last of the top six. Um, and I'll also show Bottas and Lando, who I think will definitely be fighting for best of the rest in P7. Um, and my bold prediction, besides Perez or uh, Leclerc breaking the curse, is that we're going to see at least three overtakes. Yeah, wh- what a prediction, huh? It's such a such a sad thing to say around Monaco, but honestly, that is a lot nowadays. Last year, there was like two, and one was like between the Hasses, who were like two laps down. So um, there's basically one overtake last year sure though they can be undercuts and overcuts position changes that's not the same as an actual on-track overtake so i'm gonna go with at least three i'm gonna put my faith in the regulations and just put my faith in a banger monaco race that gets people stop talking about how boring it is so um well to be honest it's still a great weekend though even if the race isn't as great because qualifying qualifying is going to be an absolute rush and i'm beyond excited for saturday because you know, who doesn't love an F1 car on the edge around the streets of Monaco? It is it is simply lovely. Um, and as I do before the end of every episode now, a quick shout out to a brilliant sim racing league in RLR. 
The Champions Division, which I race in, is in Imola this Friday. So if you want to check out the league, go to YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook and look up Raw League Racing to get our races with commentary. Or go to my Twitch channel, Be Crazy, to watch my personal streams. So that will do it for the Checo episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 12 next Monday following the Monaco Grand Prix. I'll be praying every night before I go to bed for a Charles Leclerc victory. I don't know about you guys. Um, Goodbye.